This is a moment in wine and hip hop, brought to you by Crew Love, blending wine and hip hop at the highest level. Wine and hip hop, wine and music. Tell me about it. Check this out. Oh yeah, you be the life of the party. Wine and hip hop really mirrors the the conversations that we have in my office about wine and music. What's up, guys? This is your man, Jermaine Showtime Stone, a.k.a. The Wolf of Wine, a.k.a. The Zara Vibes, a.k.a. Young Thanos. I'm just out here collecting Infinity Stones. And I have the man of the decade here, winemaker for Dujac, Jeremy Sace, in the building. Jeremy, how are you? I'm very well, and that's a hell of an introduction. Thank you very much. <laughs> we we try to, we try to uh, you know, help people get into the the frame of mind of the wine and hip-hop audience it's a very weird universe it's like the marvel universe a little bit it's different here well you've just made me want to uh you know just with that simple introduction i thought wine of the decade no that's too much and i thought oh fuck it i want to be wine of the century uh so i'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm just gonna have to keep working i mean i've still got a few decades in me so i can, I can, I can <laughs> you, stick with you know it. what it, it's 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 when when i began to drink dujac so you've you've been the man of my decade so but how are you man thank you for taking the time you're on vacay right now i'm sure you have much better things to do so thank you for for sitting no no this is an honor and a privilege and i'm thrilled to be here let's introduce the wine and hip-hop audience to you um we ask every guest who is their rap spirit animal if you could choose a rapper that embodied your style your energy who you are who would that be? Um, well, uh, you know, you've got to be aspirational. So Jay-Z would be my, my go-to. Um, Makes sense. On top of that, I've met him and, uh, <laughs> and he's drunk my wines and he's net dropped, my, dropped my wine. So I have immense gratitude for all that. And, uh, and on top, and he, and he truly is inspiring. Uh, he's just, he's, he's a wonderful family man. And uh, he's, He's just worldly and smart and just sharp as anything. And, you know, it's just like, yeah, that's who I'd like to grow up to be. Um, <laughs> and I'd, I'd say in terms of spirit animal, there's been times when I felt um, angry enough that Eminem would actually talk to me a lot. Mm. Um, but I'm hoping to have grown out of that much anger. But there's times that really felt good hearing someone just shout it out like that. You know, hip hop is about moods. It's about capturing all of the different moods that we have. So, yeah, man, Eminem is is a pretty solid spirit animal. And look, you just picked two amazing lyricists, two guys that are on my top five. So you're one of my top five winemakers. You picked some top five rappers. You you clearly have great taste. Thank you. I, I try. I try. I, I'm off. <laughs> I, I feel more comfortable picking off a wine list than off a rap list. Uh, that's where my strengths lie. But I'm trying to grow expertise, uh, a little more, or at least a little more knowledge in, in, the, in the latter. Right, right. So you you mentioned that um, you um, had wines with Jay Z. He name dropped some of your uh, one of your wines. Now, what was it like for you to hear Domaine Dujac immortalized on a track? with Jay-Z and Beyonce? Like what went through your head? I'd like to pretend I was casual about it, but uh, <laughs> no, um, not remotely. There was a kind of, yeah, there was this like 
holy shit, is it true? Is it true? Because I, so I, I got a, I got a private message on Instagram from uh, the Ain't No Jigga account and uh, saying, congratulations, your, you know, your, 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 your wine was name dropped on the latest track, Top Off. No jewels in this paddock for Lee. It's complicated, three million a piece. That's how we do time. You shocked by the mag, that's how we do wine. 91,000 for a wine bill. Keep it real with you, that was wine bill. My whole team ball. Everybody's a star but the team ball. So, you know, like, okay, where can I find this track? You know, so, so I you know, turned to, I can't remember if I, what, uh, what platform I bought it. I, I don't think I had title yet. Um, and um, I listened to it. And, and then I hear it and it was just like, so I quickly you know, turned to my wife, Diana, and asked her, like, let's listen to it. I'd say I probably listened to it maybe a hundred odd times the first day of it kind of coming out. And, and then I, and then I sent it to a bunch of friends. At the same time, I didn't want to be that guy who was, um, my mom is pretty waspy in her outlook at times. And she can be very, uh, you know, you don't brag about things. You don't, you know, you don't. So, so I was just like, okay, but I can tell a few friends, surely. <laughs> and, and, you know, he, and he mentions it pretty quick, the way it's not super enunciated. Yeah. And so like my French friends were just like, I didn't hear it. So I said, well, you know, it's like between a minute 28 and a minute 29. <laughs> just, I'm not to insist, but you do have to listen to this. Anyway, no, so it qualifies right there among the, the coolest things that have ever happened to me in my life. Um, uh, that, yeah, no, there's not many things that would rank higher. That's so cool. And you've actually been able to drink with Hove. Yeah, a few times. I'm fortunate that we have uh, some friends in common. And, uh, and I guess that's how he, he came to taste Dujac the first few times. Um, and every time feels, yeah, just I, I, I feel a little nervous. Yeah. Um, because because I, I figure this is probably true anytime anyone meets a celebrity you feel like you know them because they're public figures, but they don't know you because you're not a public figure. And at this stage, I've met him a few, uh, you know, enough times that he knows who I am and um, I don't need to keep reintroducing myself. And I, feel, <laughs> right. I still feel like I possibly ought to because I should assume nothing. Um, <laughs> right. But, you know, he's, among my, among my clients, you have, I, you know, my, my wines are, are expensive some some are a bit less and 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 some are very expensive and um and so we have a pretty moneyed crowd and within that crowd you have you have so you have a you know crowd of very successful people people who've been immensely successful in business and in their endeavors people who can who come you know i i've had um people like i uh i met a guy once at an at auction uh in hong kong and the guy had a a, doc, a doctorate in um in optics from Princeton or something like that. And so clearly capable of comprehending really complex uh, problems and issues. But, and, he, and he was buying wine. I mean, he must have dropped in one auction a couple hundred thousand easily. And he knew nothing. And, wow. and he really knew, and he really, when I say he knew, when I say he knew nothing, he, uh, he served us a wine. He was convinced that Dieving, uh, Old Vines, was the name of the producer. And, wow. and, um, and so there's a bit of a tendency among, among some of that crowd to just turn to the sommelier or person of expertise and say, I just want the best. I can afford the best, so give yeah. me the best. And, um, and then, of course, you also have people who 
who pay attention, who realize that knowledge is power, who uh, don't want to get called out for, for being fake about anything, or, but also who, who take real pleasure in figuring it out. And Jay is very much of that latter camp. I wouldn't say he's geeky about wine, but he has very clear tastes and preferences. And, um, and he definitely pays attention to what's in front of him. And if something goes from a good wine to a great wine, there might be that little pause when he tastes the next one. He's like, ooh, is this? <laughs> and, I, and, and I've got to say, it's, um, it's, it, it, it feels extra good as a result to have the name dropped by someone who really pays attention, not because you're a recognizable name or something like that, but because, he, right. because he's tasted it, liked it. And, and, uh, and yeah, no, my heart beats a little faster every time. Cool, man. No, uh, so as a, Jay's, a true Jay fan, the only uh, wines that I've heard him name drop, other than his own, and like back in the day, Cristal, of course, were um, Petrus and Dujac. So, I mean... Hasn't there been a Latash name drop recently? Yes, he did. Yes, recently he did drop Latash. Yeah. Um, I was a little jealous for a while that Burgundy <laughs> Monopoly. I was just like, ah, come on. <laughs> right down the road, man. <laughs> uh, Can't you make a better word with Brian with close underneath or something like that? <laughs> so, um, Dijak is, um, it's still family, it's always been family owned, still family owned. Um, mm-hmm. And you grew up in Maury St. Denis. Yeah. Um, did, were you influenced by American culture very much? Uh, movies, uh, comedies in summer. Um, I, um, yeah, no, every summer we went to the same place uh, in Western Pennsylvania in a kind of hokey, I, I, it's, I suppose a country club, but um, because my, my great, great grandfather worked for Pennsylvania Steel. And so he was, it was a place not too far from Pittsburgh where you could go fish. There was a lake and canoe and they had, and, and there was a golf course, which is 14 whole golf course because uh, they had nine and the new member paid for five new ones, not realizing the, mem- thinking the membership would pay for the remaining four and not realizing that they were really cheap. Um, and uh, I might get in trouble over this, um, <laughs> but they were really cheap and they said 14 is fine. So anyway, it's, it's, a, it's it, when I say it's, it's hokey, you know, you can play golf barefoot, which, which is not right. every place. Um, and, um, and so I, I, my best friend had a collection of uh, VHS tapes and we watched the same ones every summer for <laughs> the first 20 years of my life. So uh, Young Frankenstein, Caddyshack, uh, Blazing Saddles, which I actually view as the single, uh, the single best film that defines the current uh, political moment of, of, of this year, of the last four years. Blazing Saddles. <laughs> you know that scene where, where uh, Cleavon Little's been uh, called the terrible thing by the, old, little, the sweet old little lady in the, in the street, and he comes right. back and Dean Wilder is patting him on the shoulder and saying, what did you expect? Welcome, son. Marry my daughter. And he says, you've got to remember, these people are the common clay of America, the, the pioneers of the New West. You know, morons. <laughs> and and as I've watched that, that scene again a few times, and I think, yeah, they, they were called deplorables by Hillary, but, you know, it's the same. Yeah. <laughs> same crew. About the same, about the same They existed thing. in 1970 or whatever year that film was done, made in, and they still, they're still around. 
That's funny, man. So Burgundy is like the crown jewel of the wine world in, in many people's eyes. Uh, I won't say every single person, it's all subjective, but, but to many, Burgundy is so rare. What was it like for you growing up in Burgundy? And did you, did you have that, did you understand where Burgundy fit into the scope of the wine world at that time? Um, you know, not, no, not really. And, um, and it, it's all in all a fairly recent thing. The Pole did a lot to move Burgundy um, onto, the, onto a broader reaching audience. There were always people who were into Burgundy, but for a long time, it was Burgundy whites and Bordeaux reds. And Burgundy reds existed, but it was a pretty small audience um, relative to the production, I should say. It's still not a big audience, but it's a much bigger relative to the production. And, um, and with, uh, with Daniel Jonas starring the pole and a, f- and a few other things around it, all of a sudden, and I, and I do think that also coincided with the world getting more technological and more um, digital, because I think there's, a, there's currently a thirst for authenticity. I think that's what's behind the natural wine movement. I think it's, but what, what's behind the, the cultish figures that people like Pierre Vernois, Noel Verset, um, Auguste Clapp, and a number of other people um, have had is just that um, in a, for a number of jobs, you, um, you come at the end of your work day and someone says, what did you do today? And you're like, I answered some emails. I'm not, you know, I consulted this, I did that. You're not totally sure what, um, what it is that you did, or certainly what, not sure what the meaning of what you did is. And meanwhile, you have the wine industry, where in uh, places like Burgundy and the Jura, the Loire, and, and, uh, and Piedmont, and so on, and, and, and all sorts of places. But you have people uh, performing an activity that your great-grandfather would understand. Um, mm. You could explain to it, they're essentially doing the same uh, gestures and the same. It's just a, a guy like Jean-Louis Chave, making, you know, family making wines since 1481. He's still doing the same thing as as those generations before. It's not exactly the same thing. Some things have changed, but there's, um, there's that. And Burgundy for a while embodied that. And I think right now we're on the cusp of maybe losing that because A, we've priced ourselves. um, Well, not necessarily, sometimes the middleman has priced us, but anyway, that's how, that's a different thing. Um, but the wines have priced themselves out of a lot of people's reach. And, um, and there's other regions that are as a result getting, uh, getting more attention. And I, and I think that's, that's great. And, um, and then the other thing is my generation saw, I saw my parents struggle to make their mortgages and their, their bank loans um, and, uh, and kind of worry about what next year and, and, uh, and have to make certain choices. And um, <clears throat> because things weren't selling because the vintage hadn't been good. And the, the 30-somethings haven't really seen that. And I see a, a bunch of, peop- of my colleagues who are just like, oh, these customers are such a pain in the ass. And you're like. <laughs> <laughs> Be glad you have them. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You'll, you'll miss them, though. <laughs> the day they disappear. <laughs> You'd miss them if they left. <laughs> exactly. So, so you know, it's, it's, that, it's that, that thing. It's, we'd, we'd love to be able to say yes and, and to supply, supply more. 
and um, because because it's hard saying no, I'm oh, no, I'm out, or no, I've got to be a little protective of my inventory because this my business depends on on my trick, uh, not trickling it out, but to in my um, my saving some for those rainy rainy years, rainy days um, right. where I will need the inventory. But because um, people go down to your cellar, there's lots of bottles. Why can't I buy some? And well, some of them are reserved. Some of them are for the year I'll get frosted. Some are for the year I'll get hailed and the or right. global warming will not allow me to have a crop or whatever so that anyway, it's that's so stuff. funny you never you never think about that from a consumer's perspective like i i've never thought about that and as to why you know wineries hold hold so much stock that's a, such an interesting point uh, with the champagne market they it's just built into their system because of the late releases and that sort of thing but my father and i thought it was really smart smart of him he paid for it for frost or frost or hail insurance um, in the early years and then it didn't frost or hail. And so that money was just gone. And then he said, well, <laughs> if I take in the equivalent sum of just not releasing that, that wine and I don't get frosted, it can accrue value. And, um, and I, I, I only use it when I need it. And, um, right. and so it's not a dead loss. So anyway, that, 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 I thought that was pretty sharp. Stacking your acorns for the winter. <laughs> exactly. No, man. That I, I mean, when when I think about uh, Dujac, it's funny. We actually drank Dujac on a an episode with the comedian Tony Rock. We had a bottle of um, ninety eight uh, Maury Saint Denis, and I spoke with him a little bit about the the classification system in uh, Burgundy. Now, can you, to our novice uh, fans of wine and hip hop, can you break down the classification system in Burgundy? Sure. Um, in simple so terms. It, it's shaped like a pyramid, essentially. So it, at the very top of the pyramid, you have Grand Cru. And Grand Cru represents a little under 2% of the production. Then you move into Premier Cru, which represents a little less than 15% of the production. That's the next tier. Um, and then it goes to village wines. So they're named after their individual villages. Sometimes there's a place name attached. Um, and um, that represents about 20%, 23%, I think, or something like that, if I'm right. And all the rest is just called Burgundy, so named after the region. And, um, and so that, that's, the, that's the lowest level. The idea being Grand Cru is a single vineyard of a, of a particular place. And essentially, it's almost like talking strength of personality. Um, but where personality has also got to be a, a personality of quality, obviously. So um, age worthiness, uh, elegance of tannins maybe, or complexity is definitely a large part of it. Length in the palate and that sort of thing. So you're, you're essentially taking a, a Grand Cru would be a single vineyard that can have multiple owners, but that has, it doesn't need to be blended with anything to be made better. It's, it's a full, complete wine of its own, which makes it essentially a really great place to grow in, in the case of Red Burgundy Pinot Noir. So it's, 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 if you could choose any place in the world to grow Pinot Noir, you'd be choosing a Grand Cru in the Côte de Nuit. And in the same way, if you were to grow Chardonnay anywhere in the world, you'd probably choose Morachet or one of the Grand Crus in the Côte de Beaune. And, um, and anyone who gardens can comprehend that pretty straightforward way because if you've got a vegetable patch, probably not in Manhattan, though, but um, <laughs> you might, 
You might like your south facing wall for tomatoes. If you're in an area that's a little bit cold, you might like your north facing wall for rhubarb because it's a little more humid and shaded or whatever. So it's, it's the same kind of thing from an agronomics standpoint. The Grand Cru's um, just make wine, make great wine more easily. You have the right drainage, you have the right exposure, you have the right vigor, you're less prone to disease in the Grand Cru's. Everything is kind of aligned to make your job easy. Um, as a, you, you always, you get more credit for your Grand Cru's and for your, uh, for your lower down the classification wines, yet they usually require less effort. It's kind of- You know, I was, I was actually gonna mention that because one of the <clears throat> standout things about Domaine du Jacques is, um, you know, yeah, the Grand Cru at that level, the grapes speak for themselves. Even Premier Cru, the land speaks for itself. But when you get to the village level, you really have, that takes skill and that takes technique. And I think that a lot of your village level wines also really stand out amongst the pack. So bravo, man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But you know, uh, there, there's, this, there's this fairly, the old cliche of, um, of grapes being like your children or something like that. It's not quite the same because I've never fermented my kids and, and consumed them. <laughs> um, but, um, but it's like the, the, the Broncos are like the genius in the class or the super, <laughs> the, the super, the kid that just goes, you just point in the direction and it just goes. And, and the village wines are like the unruly kid in the class that, um, that as, 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 because when you're making wine, you cannot, you, the level of intervention can be very variable. And you have natural wine on some point where they're really keeping intervention, while some growers are really keeping intervention down to a very strict minimum. We're probably closer to that than we would be to industrial wine. Um, but nonetheless, we allow ourselves, you know, the use of sulfur or, or temperature control or, um, or new oak or things like that. But, but nonetheless, as you're guiding, because the fermentation is a dynamic process and, you, and you're, as you're guiding it along the way, yeah, the village are a bit unruly, but, um, but you still love them and you know you can still take them someplace good. And, and so, you know, you've, you've, got to, you've, got to, you've got to believe that you've done your job well in the vineyard and then you can trust and you can, and you can, and you can push them along. And, uh, and there's no reason to, there's no, no reason to give up on any of those wines. That's, that's, that's a, an, an amazing way to put it. Um, as, a, as a dad of two, I totally get it. <laughs> um, now, even like with that said, do you have a favorite vintage? Like I know one of the, for a bunch of people that are just getting into wine, they may not understand how, people just think if it's old, it's good. They yeah. don't understand that not every vin there are some vintages that are better than others. And Burgundy is frustrating. Um, What's because, that? you know, it goes, and Burgundy can be frustrating vintage wise because it's open and then it tastes closed or just sometimes the wine is giving and sometimes it gives you nothing. Um, right. No, so it's tough. So that said, now I drank a, a 98 with, with Tone, which was awesome. Um, what do you have a favorite vintage? uh in of your wine so i i tend sentimentally you know it's there's a way the wine tastes but um my i i experienced the vineyard vintage from the inside so there's also my pride as a winemaker at having so obviously with that in mind i tend to my favorite vintages are the ones where i had to really work and mm. and where it was not a 
an easy uh, set of circumstances, or not necessarily easy, but where you feel there's potential and you feel like you played your cards right and you were smart about it and you took the right decisions and you come out after that gives you more satisfaction than, oh, it's just clear, sunny, all the grapes were healthy and everything. So there's, because there's a real challenge there. And so the, a lot of my favorite vintages have to, to do with overcoming the challenge. And in that sense, 2013 is, 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 and 2013, 2008 are pretty high up there because I really feel we did well in what could have been a tricky, tricky year. And on, of the most recent ones, the really good surprise has been 2017. I, I totally underrated it initially. I felt like we were missing a couple of days of heat during the summer to really get, to really get the, the, full, um, the full expression of what the wines can be. And then as time has gone by, they've gotten more precise. They've put on a little bit of weight. Um, and, and I think they're not gonna shut down that much. So I was talking about wines that close, that close tight like oysters and, and, um, or Brett's sister. And um, they, uh, and, <laughs> sorry, um, and, uh, and then they, um, I think those 17s are gonna be pretty generous in that way. So I think there'll be a nice expression of Pinot um, from Burgundy and what, what is a, a slightly more normal year than what we've see, seen of late because we've seen very hot, precocious vintages that are, um, that are just so ripe for Burgundy that I think they're not, they're not a Burgundy lover's first call of and they're they're there they can be lovely but you, there's some years if you like this that doesn't mean you like burgundy that means you like this certain style of right vintage um right and 17 is uh, for burgundy lovers is a good good vintage yeah nice man uh, um well i'll put it to you this way <clears throat> after drinking the the 98 tony rock changed his name to dujac rock so <laughs> It made an, it. it made an impact. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully this will this will get on your list. Uh, oh, yeah, no, um, I'm going to go look this up right away. Do you ever like feel compelled to try to change the winemaking style? I know like you mentioned it's every like you you, you could speak to someone's great grandfather and they were making the wine the exact same way. As the newer generation comes in you know, do you ever feel compelled to switch the winemaking style up a bit or do something different? So it's, it's more that the, the techniques remain largely similar, but, um, but the winemaking, um, the approach every year you try to start fresh because you're reacting to your, so you might have an idea of what to expect because you're, you know, the growing season gives you a lot of information. <clears throat> but, um, but until you've got the first grapes starting to ferment, you're not sure. And, and then once they start fermenting, you taste every day through the ferment, you continue tasting the grapes as you're picking them. And, um, and you do and you tweak things. So there are certain things that you know, I would I would not allow myself to do. Uh, maybe reverse osmosis, I would not allow myself to do tan additions, I would not allow myself to go there. But um, I think temperature control uh, with warmer and warmer seasons is going to become more and more important, um, and a, a very useful tool. But you're always you're always reacting to it. There was um, I studied biology, and there was this thing called the Red Queen theory that was named after Alice in Wonderland. And I haven't yet read Alice in Wonderland, but apparently the Red Queen is 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 running to stay in the same place, and that's pretty much winemaking. We're we're hustling, but we're right. still exactly <laughs> the same place. Um, so every year we're just we're just starting a fresh 
a fresh run and we and we uh, and we and we <laughs> and we just um keep keep running and just all this to stay at doing the same thing and keep playing the same game it's funny you're, you're constantly given varying elements to make the same product and tr try to have the same consistency in flavor profile and, and quality but you know and that's that's why i think that those the village level wines really stand out because you know with all those varying elements you're able to establish consistency and still still and ideally it's right consistency and it's consistency and quality as in it all yeah should all taste good and all be reflective of place of, of vintage and uh, and have a certain style that's not standardized but at the same time it is changing from vintage to vintage so you're you're every time it's just you get you get yeah no it's, it's it is a bit i don't i don't really play cards but i use that analogy i suppose but you get you get dealt a fresh hand and you're going to try to do the most out of that hand as possible um and and it but every year changes so that's kind of what's fun about it too for that, that matter it's just that you yeah. never know exactly what nature is going to throw at you yeah seriously man S speaking of not knowing what nature is going to throw at you like we're now in in a world where we're you're dealing with climate change but also like wine tariffs into the u.s yeah. you know like U.S. Yeah. has got to be like one of your hugest markets. Like, how do you feel about how wine tariffs are being handled? And do you have any thoughts on that? Um, you know, the same year we had tariffs, we had Brexit, and we had the Hong Kong protests and, and that sort of thing. And those are all three pretty substantial markets, a lot of wine drinkers and all of those. Um, <clears throat> It, 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 the tariffs didn't feel like, uh, you know, I can, I can accept uh, hailstorms, I can accept uh, frost and, 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 uh, and all sorts of other issues. The tariffs really felt like, what the hell? So Boeing sues Airbus <laughs> and wins its lawsuit and then wine gets taxed? Why? You, you know, <laughs> it felt very collateral. And, um, and yeah, I understand that we represent leverage and the rest, but then they dropped champagne out of the thing and they dropped 14% plus out of the thing. And then it felt like, okay, so LVMH negotiated a, an exemption for themselves and, and not, for, not for a few of the others of us, which, which felt like a lack of solidarity. So anyway, we're, we'll survive it. We're, you know, we're resilient yeah. industry. We've survived all sorts of crises before, but um, I can't wait to see someone else in the White House, so I can say, who's perhaps <laughs> less pro-tariffs. And, um, and, and, but, but the tariffs are the least of it. I mean, just anyway, just I, I, I wept in 2016 when the election went through, thinking people are yeah. going to die because of this. And, um, and I, I wish I'd been wrong, but. Um, yeah. yeah, it's wild. It is, it, it, surprising. it is, it is wild. But you're right, we're resilient. We can make it through anything, I'm, I'm sure. Um, yeah, dude, I wanted to um, also, uh, I, we, we talked a little bit offline and I love uh, where your head is around the Black Lives Matter movement and you know your stance on uh, looking to help to uh, make the wine industry more inclusive. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of your thoughts and ways that you hope to see the wine imp industry improve? So, um, 
kind of backtracking a little bit on my personal um, getting into wine thing. Um, I uh, I grew up in so I grew up on a, on a, at the winery, and then I went to uh, I went to school in uh, in the UK. I went to a university in, in um, at Oxford actually, and um, and so I was. I, I got in, I was at, uh, there was, you know, do I sign up? So I was I played rugby. So I signed up for the rugby club. Um, I, I was into, I, I thought I've got to try rowing. It's what everyone does here. And then there was the wine club. And, and honestly, my parents hadn't given me a huge allowance. Um, and, and it felt kind of expensive to join it. It cost 45 pounds and my allowance was something like 20 pounds a week, but I had to feed myself on that as well. Um, and, um, and so I called my parents. I said, you know, I'm thinking about this. And it's like, that's okay. That will, you know, we can expense that. <laughs> we'll, we'll cover you for that. And I got into it. And wine up till then had always been my parents' thing and their friends. So it was, it was old people stuff. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm nearing that age now. But um, <laughs> as, as a 20-year-old, it was stuff that, you know, 50-plus-year-olds were, were into. And all of a sudden, I got into a, a, into a wine club, and it was, a, it was all students like me, and it was people I could relate to ultimately. And um, and all of a sudden, I I discovered that yes, this was super interesting. I had a real passion for it, and I I got um, you know I, I I I got really obsessive about the whole thing, and decided that I I had a tremendous opportunity in being able to get back into the family business, and and I should do that. And so wine for me has always been about. Um, it's been about, I, I, I really enjoy the growing of the, the plants. I really enjoy the making of the wine and that process, but I'm also, I like people. And I've always liked the, how it brings people together because as a whole wine is not something you drink alone. It's something you, if you have a special bottle, you look forward to sharing it with your wife for your anniversary, with your, with your, your parents for, for a birthday, whatever, with your friends who are into wine or whatever. And, um, I've loved those, those moments around the table. And I love when we do it around harvest with, with our interns because they're young, they're young people who are passionate about wine. And so to have um, the music industry, the sports industry starting to break down those barriers and saying, this is something we can have too. It's, um, and um, has been really great because I feel like it's bringing more people around this broad, table that is that is the wine business and the wine and the wine consumption and and enjoying a product plus when you're a little inebriated you're a lot of people are that bit more sociable and i certainly yeah. <laughs> i can speak any language in the world past a certain point <laughs> for that matter. Um, so so i'm 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 really pleased about that but i as I, I as i was looking and we've had interns from australia from new zealand from south africa from uh the u.s from canada and and all within Europe as well, uh, we've had almost entirely white applicants, a few Asian applicants and, and, and interns. Um, so it's not been as diverse as, as, as I would have liked. And, and so I think we need to become a whole lot more proactive about it. And, I've, um, and so I think we're going to, um, I'm talking to a few people and I think we need to, uh, we need to link up with my 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 favorite option. So I talked to Steve Stout about this, and we and we and we and we debated a little bit. He thinks, and I think it's a really good idea. We could get in touch with some historically black colleges um, and universities, and and maybe get in touch with an agricultural department and or hospitality, and have 
a, a once a year have, oh, sorry, have one or two interns every year who come and join us for harvest, not necessarily with any experience in winemaking. Uh, and we'll have people with more experience around and they can, they can get um, a, a first experience or, or maybe not a first, but anyway, in, in that side of the production, because I think that we are in the same way that wine was an old, old person thing for, for me for a long time. I think it, it, we, we need to, um, to show that it's available, that it is an option, that this is something that can be considered because I think it's not on people's radars to even think to apply. And, right. and that's a shame because there's so many people of color and, and black people in the, in the hospitality industry there's no reason. Right, right. But, if, but if, if, um, if people aren't, aren't convinced that it's actually on offer, then they don't even think to ask sometimes. Exactly. Man, I tell you, I'm, uh, yeah, this is, I'm sure anyone would jump at the chance. And, you know, obviously anything that, that I can do in the wine and hip hop community can do to assist, we are always just a text away. <laughs> I will turn to you very happily if you have some, if you, rather, if you have some people who, uh, after this interview, get in touch with you, just send them my way and we'll, Definitely. we'll figure out something. This, uh, um, this, this, this year for harvest is going to be tricky because of COVID and travel restrictions, but from next year onwards, we'll be, we'll be wide open. Awesome. I awesome. hope, I hope <laughs> we should Great. get this eventually. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeremy, man, thank you so much for joining us. This was awesome. You're hilarious and your wands are amazing, man. Appreciate you. Jeremy, thank you for having me. You're a prince. <laughs> Pleasure, man. All right. Thanks so much and enjoy the vacay. I will do. Thanks a lot. <laughs> All right. Take care. This was a moment in wine and hip hop brought to you by Crew Love.